Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Here today with Brett Morrow. He manages the business development for Cora Gold. Uh, and he's also the CEO designate, I think. But that's coming in the new year. We're going to talk about a variety of subjects, not least of all gold mining in West Africa. Hi, Bert. How are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, good to see you. It's been a while. Has been a while. Yeah, as we were just discussing. And a few things have been happening. Yeah, a few things of the water under the bridge, but yeah, all good. Okay, uh, not not least of all, uh, potentially in the new year, becoming CEO of Cora Gold. Yeah, exciting Exciting time for me. Great opportunity. Fantastic. But let's kick off. One minute summary for those people new to the story. Yeah, absolutely. Cora Gold is an aim-listed gold company uh, with licenses predominantly in Mali, but also in Senegal as well. Mm-hmm. Our focus is around exploration and looking to move into development. So we've got mm-hmm. a suite of permits, uh, predominantly in the Kenyaba window and also the Yamfalila belt. Yeah. Uh, our main asset is called San Ancoro. We've been drilling it out pretty extensively over the course of the last year or two. Uh, by the end of this year, we're targeting bringing out a maiden resource as well as a scoping study on the project. Okay, great summary. Um, Cora Gold, quite a small company, less than 10 million market cap. Yep. Tell us where it started from, where you think you guys are now, and what you think the potential yep. is. So Cora Gold was a private gold business run by John Forster, who's got an amazing track record of making discoveries across West Africa, a number of which have become producing gold mines, which is, is relatively rare to be fair to him. Mm. Um, and Cora came about uh, with the amalgamation, essentially, of some hummingbird permits, um, which were non-core to Hummingbird at the time because we were so focused on building mm-hmm. the Alphalila gold mine yeah. and amalgamating those with Cora as a private business. Right. Ultimately, Cora then listed onto AIM. Hummingbird was the single largest shareholder. Um, and ultimately, Cora then got a series of other very good shareholders, the likes of the Quirk family, uh, Michael Farmer, who's of Red Kite, my finance yeah. background, and others. Um, so that was the way that Cora as a listed company came about being. It was a, a blend of the old Cora, which had predominantly licenses in the Kenyaba window, mm-hmm. uh, which is up the border with uh, Senegal and Mali. And then obviously the hummingbird permits, which were put into Cora, which was predominantly more in the Yamfalila belt. So right. that was sort of how Cora came about. Uh, I think after IPO, which was towards the end of 2017, Cora's gone about doing extensive exploration across those permits. Uh, we're now focusing in more on San Cora than the other permits because of, I guess, the exciting draw results we've been getting over the last year or so. Yeah. And obviously looking to move that towards the development stage, which is, I guess, ties in with myself and you were asking me earlier about why I was coming into the well, role. Let's talk about that. So John. Let's make people aware. So you, you obviously have a role at Hummingbird yep. as well, but uh, I think you've been asked to spend a bit more time in terms of moving Cora forward. So you're coming on board as CEO in the new year. So what is it that you've been asked to do by either board? Yeah. Both boards, I guess. Um, and what, what have you done so far? What are you, what are you yeah, so doing about Yes, yeah, so, I mean, I guess as background, I mean, I've been with Hummingbird for nearly 11 years now. So mm. I was with Hummingbird as a private company. I lived in Liberia for two and a half years when we were making those maiden discoveries on the yeah. Digby project. Post Hummingbird's IPO in 2010, I moved back to London in 2011, 2012 or time and have been working with Dan, the CEO of Hummingbird, yeah. I guess on the more the capital market side of Hummingbird and driving forward. But I guess I've had a, a front row seat as we've taken an, an asset from zero to four million ounces acquired Jan Falila and then obviously taken Jan Falila from a development project through into production. So, you know, I've been in a great position, very fortunate to have seen the whole life cycle of the mining industry in that respect. I think the opportunity and the excitement for me with Cora is, you know, having worked with Dan for 10 years is going into a company which is at obviously an earlier stage. It's where Hummingbird might have been, 
you know, five years ago or so, six years ago, where you've got, you've got a discovery, you've got a potential there. And what we believe at Core is that you've got an asset that, that will be a mine in the future. So yeah. I think the excitement and the opportunity and the challenge for me is to, to obviously come on board Core full time in the yeah. new year and try and drive forward with the, with the support of John, who's staying on in a technical role, um, the asset towards production. Right, so what I, from what I know of my um, exposure to Hummingbird is fairly entrepreneurial environment. Yep. You get to wear many hats, as it were, yep. and, and pick, pick things up along the way. And I guess you've been tasked with lots of things along the way. It's yep. not just business development. Right? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, in December 2017, as we were commissioning the mine, I mean, I was standing on the plant at three o'clock in the morning when we were getting it all going and getting mm. it running for first gold pour. So, I yeah. mean, you know, and I've you know, lived in a tent in Liberia for two years. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I've... Yeah, I'm not just standing here in a suit all day yeah. talking to investors and brokers. Right. Uh, I guess, yeah, hopefully, while I'm not a geologist or an engineer, I've kind of cut my teeth, I'd like to think. Um, yeah. And I think the beauty of the transition with Cora is John Forster's got 40 years experience in the gold mining industry. He's a geologist who's, who's made some big discoveries, as I said earlier. And I think he's you know, obviously getting slightly older. I don't think you'll mind me saying that. And, mm. and part of it is him allowing him to step back so that mm. he has doesn't have to take on the corporate aspects of, of being CEO of a listed company. Yeah. And it allows him to use his best skill, which is frankly finding gold mines, and focus his attention fully on that rather than um, being involved in more of a corporate side of the business. So it allows me to blend with John quite well, because mm. I've obviously spent a lot of time on the, the corporate side of, of Hummingbird. Okay. Uh, so I think I think the blend will work well. So Okay, so but let's, let's, let's look at the constituent parts there. You know, you, you're, you're in London, you've been here a while, Hummingbird's really, relatively well known. Institutionally, you've got mm-hmm. reasonably good uh, retail following too, um, and I guess some of those relationships will, can apply to court. Slightly earlier yep. stage, there's slightly higher risk, so people have different risk profiles. Uh, so not everyone's necessarily going to be wanting to run into court, but you feel that you can have those conversations with the marketplace. Is that your primary role, or and working with John technically, or do you see yourself doing a bit more than that? I think it's both and, and everything, I suppose. I mean, ultimately, you're in charge of running the business. So, mm. you know, whether that's government relations and country, whether it's ultimately signing off and being overseeing field programs, ultimately, it will all fall on your head as CEO. Yeah. There's no point sort of avoiding that aspect of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. But yeah, obviously, I guess my my most relevant skill set and the most I can bring to core is, I suppose, the some of the market side to it as we're looking to to build a register that could support a business moving mm. into the next stage of development. Mm. Um, that's obviously a good skill set I bring, as well as obviously plenty of hands-on experience um, operationally as well. Right, okay, so, so we met with uh, Dan Betts, yep. Hummingbird CEO earlier, the big shareholder, yep. have been from day one and continue to be. Um, how do you work with them? Are they, do they, do they have a seat on the board? Uh, no, so they don't, okay. at the point of IPO, uh, when they had greater than 30% shareholding, which they did at IPO, mm-hmm. they were allowed to appoint two board members. Right. Um, once they fell below 30%, that right to appoint two board members fell away. Right. So myself and David Pelham, who was an ex-technical yeah. director of Hummingbird, were both the appointed directors. Dave is still on the board. He obviously brings a wealth of experience like John. He right. was a guy in charge of the discovery of Dugby, for example, mm. formerly announced deposit in Liberia. Yeah. Yeah. So he still remains on the board. And obviously I will rejoin the board as CEO okay. uh, in the new year. Okay. But ultimately Hummingbird is, is a shareholder like you know the Quirk family are or Got the it. farmers are. There's no relationship agreement in place. They just happen to be an 18% shareholder. Okay, so how, does, how do decisions get made? How do you move it from where it is today to where you want it to be? Who decides what? that place is and who decides how you go about doing that. 
given this new setup or rather things. Yeah, I mean, I guess ultimately the board the board decides and drives forward the business, but you know, you have to look. You know, we have shareholders, and obviously the shareholders will, you know, have an influence on on our decision. Right. We re- recently raised two million pounds um, yeah. last month, and ultimately the use of proceeds was predominantly to drive forward San and Coro. So mm-hmm. we raised that money, and the use of proceeds, you know, as stated when we raised the money, was to to push forward San and Coro. Right. As you know, with early stage projects. Um, until you've done the drilling and you see the results in the drill, but you don't know what that might be. Yeah. Is it an enormous gold mine? Is it a smaller, higher margin gold mine? You, know, yeah. you don't know quite what might come from that. So I think we're still at that really exciting stage where you're still, you still have exploration to be done and there's still huge upside to be discovered. It isn't like we've got a ready laid bed and the only option is to go down plan A. Yeah. We're still at the stage of, of stepping out that drilling and looking to build out San and Coro. So I think the strategy won't decide itself in the sense but you know the drill bit will be guiding the strategy as we get results and we can see which way we need to move the project forward right again I answer your question now Doesn't yeah, sound like you, ha- you have and, and you haven't in that you know can I add a bit more to it go for it <clears throat> I think people probably look at Cora and probably see the hummingbird shareholding and think mm. oh well hummingbirds there you know they've got a gold mine whatever it is 100 kilometers away mm. um, you know there's a logical sense there, and I think what people probably miss with the share register is you've got the Quirk family um, through two different holdings who, mm. if people don't know, they were behind Lionel, yep. sold for $6 billion to Norilsk. Yep. They recently put significant money into both Bushveld Minerals and to Salt Lake Potash. So they, they like to invest in and develop mines um, mm. themselves as a family. And you've also got the farmers who are behind the Red Kite. Are they contributing technically in terms of you know, diligence, planning, you know, the best way forward? Because I guess the question where I was yeah. getting uh, to was, you know, very early stage junior explorers, the, the road is littered with carcasses. You know, mm-hmm. be, you know, one in 20 makes it, right? Thank you for making me feel really excited about but, that. But no, I, think, I think you will make it, but I just want you to explain to people yeah. the risk mitigation process that you guys yeah. go through on your way there. One, you're in a great part of the world, great. Yeah. You know, the, the, the grades sort of are very average. They don't seem to change. Changed mm-hmm. too much around the Broomian Green Belt. But I want you to explain the process of getting from where you are and mo- moving forward with all the advice and input you've got from mm-hmm. the, 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 the Quirks yep. and Lord Farmer, et cetera, and, and obviously Hummingbird. You know, they have seen a thing or two. Mm-hmm. You've got 11 yep. years, well, isn't yeah. that about that experience? Yeah, about that. Now, yeah. yeah. Experience now with, with Hummingbird. You've learned a few things along the yep. way and you've got relationships in the country, you did what you did in Liberia and you know, up in Mali. So there's, there's lots you guys know and I'm just trying to get at who's driving the who's strategy. driving it, um, what are the pitfalls you're looking out for because you know where mm-hmm. they are and you know how to avoid them. Yep. Um, and you know, what's, what's that kind of uh, roadway look like? Yeah. I think fundamentally, I guess just a key point to make, I mean, Cora has its own management team and they are driving the work programs and driving it technically. We don't have you know, there isn't advisory people from any of our shareholders mm. sitting there giving technical advice. You know, Cora has its own technical team managed by John, um, you know, and obviously there's a team on the ground who are doing the work. So you know, obviously your shareholders, you talk to them regularly and you, you understand hopefully what they're, what they're looking to achieve from their investment in you. Obviously mm. all businesses do that. Mm. Um, but ultimately we are driving our own strategy and driving our own technical, mm. um, you know, technical pursuit further forward. I think in terms of your risk mitigations and how mm. you do it, I mean, ultimately, for me, the greatest risk mitigation is ultimately finding more gold. Um, you know, that's our business. Sure. You know, people are investing in Cora, I hope, because we've got some interesting assets which have great potential and ultimately they want us to go out there and make a big discovery and, yeah. and push it forward. So I think 
you know, we've got a number of permits which have all got drilled gold discoveries. I've talked a fair bit about San and Coro. Mm. There's also Tekladugu, which is another permit which has had, you know, got a drilled gold discovery. You've got gold on, on all of our permits. So I think the risk mitigation ultimately is to, is to use your money, put your money into the ground, into the drill bit, and, yeah. and turn it to account. So I think, you know, Coro has got, you know, in my mind, a very low GNA, very low overhead. It has no office in the UK, for example. Everyone is based predominantly in sight. Mm. Um, and you know, in that respect, you put as much money as you can mm. into, into the ground in Mali and Senegal and look to try and push the, the assets forward. Right, okay. If we're going to do that, so you've got permits for what? Permits for drilling? Exploration permits. Exploration yeah. permits only. Yeah. Okay. Next stage would be? Well, at some stage, you, if you get the asset to a certain stage, you have to convert your exploration permit to a mining permit. Right. So, okay. for example, San Ancora with delivery of a scoping study and obviously then moving forward development at some point in time, you would look to convert that permit yeah. from an exploration permit into a mining permit. So, yeah, I mean, that's obviously you want to do it at the right time and, and yeah, for lots of reasons. But yeah. that's ultimately you know, one of the next stages. You know, I talked a bit about it at the start, government relations. I mean, you've, mm. you've always got to you've always got to manage that. I mean, Mali is a great country to, to work in, in, my, in, my, um, my, 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 in my view. Yeah. Uh, I think it's had a commercial gold mining industry for 25 to 30 years. Yeah. It's got a whole load of you know, commercially operating gold mines, not least Jan Falila. Obviously, others, you know, Rangolds and Anglos and other people's minds. So I think you know, they've got a good track record of seeing discoveries being made, making the conversion to mining permits, development happening. So you've got a great, you know, both from the government side in the ministry mm. and also just from personnel who have worked in mines. You've got a good country which has got a good background in mining. So I think you know, it's, it's, we wouldn't be the first people to be doing it. You know, obviously, in some countries in the world, you might be the first, the first company to be building a mine in that, yeah. in that country. So I think luckily for Cora, we're not trying to break new strides. We're trying to follow in people's footsteps. Yeah, it, it, again, my, my better experience uh, in gold in West Africa, you know, the, there are pitfalls. There are, there are mm -hmm. bumps in the, yeah, along absolutely. the road. And I just quite like it when the companies, you know, give you a forewarning. They say, right, here, here's where we are. Here's what we're going to do next. Yep. And there's a process we're going to follow to, to do that. Yeah. You know, we've been caught out before where you move from permitting through to mining license and the license hasn't actually appeared. Yeah. It's been a continual process of it'll be here next month. So, but if you've got your you know, heads up on that as an investor, yeah. Yeah. you can go, okay, I can see the they know it. Yeah, and I think, I mean, strides uh, are being made to deliver mm -hmm. that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, look, Core always has full disclosure in our annual report um, last year. It listed every permit. Yeah. And when all the permits were up for renewal and when they were expiring yeah. and when they were due to be But released. I like to talk about it because I think, again, asking surprisingly but a lot of investors are quite lazy yeah. and they don't make the effort to do their homework to find that out yeah. and if you if something's buried in an annual report or, or a quarterly yeah. and it's not up there and so people miss it or they don't know to look yeah. for it and i think you know part of these interviews is exercise yeah. to help educate yeah uh, and help people understand yeah, what I think they should need uh, to be looking yeah at, like right? i think it's important for people to know generally speaking an expiration permit is granted for an initial period of it's seven years so you get three years and then yeah. you have to renew for two and renew for two yeah at the end of the seven you can either choose to convert to a mining permit if you've done the work and you've done the stages mm. or you can look to apply for an additional year mm. um this is i'm talking about marley spe specifically mm. the other the other aspect which is available to people is to you know they're looking for people to drop ground which they're not working yeah. actively so yeah. you can go if you've got blocks of permits in groups mm. um you can then consolidate them you know under new terms so you know Cora is constantly renewing and extending permits. When you've got 14 permits yep. or so, when you've got 10 to 14 permits yep. and you've got, um, you know, and they're three, two, two, yep. you know, it doesn't take a mathematician to work out that every year 
yeah. there are permits which are always needing to be renewed and extended. I think yeah, we've got a good government relations, we've got a good experience of operating there. Yeah. I think importantly, we've been raising money and putting that into the ground. So I mean, we've, we've drilled- You've got to get track over. Yeah, 10,000 meters of drilling yeah. um, this year in Mali already, and we're mobilizing drill rigs you know, in the next few weeks to start drilling again. So I think you know, there are companies who you know, promote and don't maybe do the work in the ground, and ultimately they will fall foul of the government in the end because they haven't put the money into the ground. And the government's going to look at it and go, you aren't working the ground. I'd rather someone else came in and worked it. I think, you know, Cora has been working the ground hard. Yeah. Yep. I think, I guess I talked about it briefly, but you know, we've this year we've committed to, to obviously bring out a scoping study, delivering a maiden resource. And I think that is, you know, it's a bit of a line in the sand for me. The studies is, to a degree, a proof of concept. Mm. I think, you know, you can keep on exploring and drilling, but at some point people need to know, is there an economic value in that gold? And I think the scoping study is the first mm. step of saying, hopefully. Yes, yeah. this gold is profitable gold. It might not be the full scale of the operations you might one day build, yeah. but there is a, an economic... But it comes back to strategy, doesn't it? You know, you, you, some, some companies employ different strategies. So some companies will say, you know, if I look at a company like Great Bear Canada, right? Yeah. Those guys, no intention of doing a maiden resource anytime soon. They are drilling, 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 and they're lots of money, big market cap. That's a strategy that was working yep. for them. It's a, it's a, it's a high-grade yep. um, asset. But likewise, along West Africa, you've got Rocks Gold, Put yep. a strategy. Let's get into production quickly. Yep. Get some cash flowing. We'll you know use that to acquire another asset. Yep. You've got uh, Cardinal next door in Ghana. Well, next door ish to in Ghana. Yeah, they've done well. They found a lot of gold. They found a lot of gold, but not, they're definitely not getting the value for that gold that they thought they would. Yeah. You know, they're they're marking yeah. one hundred and thirty odd million bucks. It's like they thought you should be at two three hundred. Rocks gold next door, three fifty four hundred. They are producing their rocks gold. Yeah, but different strategies yeah. create different results. Yeah, Cor- so Cor- for Cor- you guys. Yeah, I mean, Cora has been saying consistently that we want to move forward and we want to build a gold mine, which is quite rare for a company yeah. without a resource. So I think when we raise money... It's pre- also easy to say, right? <coughs> we're going to get, you know, and you need to say it in a way. We're yeah. going to get in production. We're going to build yeah. ourselves. Because you, you get that discount if you don't, right? So that's what I'm interested in. But equally, in you can cap your upside. So if you yeah. push forward to build a small gold mine, mm. people say, oh, well, I want a minimum of X, 100,000 ounce, X ounces a year mm. um, and ultimately if you push ahead faster to get into production quicker you're potentially you know, limiting that full valuation because people go oh well it's a 40 or 50,000 ounce a year gold mine yeah. I only like 100,000 ounce gold mines yeah. so you can never really win yeah. and then I remember when we were finding discovering Digby people, some people said just make it bigger make it bigger then other people said well you need to prove you can get it out profitably so yeah. we ended up getting to 4 million ounces and then doing a, doing a scoping study and yeah. moving it forward from there now people go to us, oh, why, did, why didn't you just try and find six or seven? But you ended up not moving it forward. I mean, sorry to go back to like yeah. hummingbird days, but again, it comes back to strategy. And I'm interested in how you think, right? Yeah, so what we did actually, which, which does time with Cora really well, mm. it was 2013, 2014. As you know, the market was not good then. Yeah. A single asset gold mining company with a large, lowish grade deposit, one and a half grams a ton. Yeah. It was never going to be super high margin. Yeah. And operating in Liberia and having a predominantly fresh rock deposit yeah. has a higher capex than building an oxide gold mine. Yeah. So we moved to Yamfalila um, because it was a higher margin, lower capex project. Mm. Now, Yamfalila was built for $90 million. Um, and you know we're proving at the moment we should be able to, if things are operating well, yeah. you know, produce in the sort of $800 to $850 yeah. an ounce mar- you know, range. Yeah. So I think flipping that to Cora, what we're excited about for Cora and the reason obviously why I want to move there and why I think it's got legs on it is that you've got, generally speaking, quite a large oxide zone. So you've got yeah. up to 100 meters of oxide. So for people who aren't 
you know, geologists, that's essentially a free digging material. So in principle, you can mine it cheaper because you don't have to drill and blast it. Yeah. And then when you process it, you can put it straight through your mill. You don't have to have like you know, three, four stages of crushing, which takes a lot of power and as mm. your capex and your opex. So for me, you know, what is our strategy? Our strategy is you know, fundamentally to make money for our shareholders. Mm. Um, but you know, we believe with the deposit that we think is being drilled out, mm. you've got the ability to produce um, you know, a high margin you know, product because, not because it's super high grade or because it's you know, necessarily the world's biggest gold deposit by any yeah. means. It's, you know, it's you know, somewhere in the one and a half to two grams a ton probably if you took sort of the average of the drill results. Mm. But because it's got probably a larger than normal oxide portion to yeah, it yeah. and it's you know relatively accessible it's got water nearby it's got lots of things which would make it amenable hopefully to you know relatively cheap mining um, yeah. and the ability to deliver I think you know hummingbirds got a 95 96 percent local workforce so the ability to you know build and run a mine you know with Marleyans yeah. um, who have yeah. got a great track record of being able to do that. I think all those things um, is what's exciting about it and I suppose you know we you know, we don't. We need to see what results come out of you know the work we're doing at the moment. You know, the metallurgical work, the resource work, all of the various studies which are coming together. You know, where will the mining cost look like? What will the processing cost look yeah. like? So, all this stuff is you know coming together in the background. Um, and until you see it, mm. you don't know whether you should be building something bigger, medium, smaller. And you need to always balance yeah. the trade-off between capex and. I mean, obviously, like, and, you, and you guys are a ways off from having to make some of those decisions. Yeah. But right, right now, let's bring it back to sort of the, the technical side. You know, John, John's side of things is you're going to come in the new year as CEO. Yep. You probably agreed that, that, that handover process. So what do you, what does the rest of this quarter, Q1, Q2, look like for you? What are you going to focus the company on? Because you, know, you are early stage, but yep. you want to move it through as a development company in name, yep. right? So what does that mean for you in terms of what do you need yep. to implement? How much money time so we are currently committing to obviously the next stage of drilling at san Ancoro. so at the moment we're mobilizing field teams as we speak mid-october uh we'll be how drilling how many drills uh they're coming in in phases but we'll have three or four drills probably okay. going um okay. you know through november yeah. um a combination of some rc some diamond yeah. we've also got a small man portable rab rig which is quite yeah. good for exploration you can push ahead of the the rc rig and, and just make sure you're going in the right yeah. direction so you know a fair amount of activity so that is ultimately following up on the drilling we did earlier this year. Yeah. So to look to obviously extend you know, the known mineralization yeah. and also to target new structures. So we've got an SRK exploration target on the property, which is one to two million ounces of gold um, okay. to depths of 100 meters. So to explain, to, to extrapolate that further, we've currently only really drilled six kilometers of the permit and there's around 30 kilometers worth of like mineralized strike yeah, length. Yeah. So, for us, we've only really touched the surface of the permit. It's a 14-kilometer-long permit, but essentially you've got you know, two main structures which are parallel to each other. So the drilling which is we've been doing, which will be feeding into the, the maiden resources, mm. essentially over six kilometers of, of the permit, and you've got mm. you know, these 30 kilometers of structures. I think the other thing to mention is we've, we've been bringing out drill results with mineralization down to 170 meters of depth, yeah. and the exploration target's limited to 100 meters, and the focus of our resource and scoping okay. study will be the oxides, which is yeah. up to 100 meters so i think for me you keep, you're pushing me on i guess strategy in which way we're taking it and what we're doing for the next six nine months you know i think delivering a maiden resource in the scoping study is a big moment for a company when it's currently just valued on exploration potential because suddenly you're showing a value but i think it's not the be all and end all for core i think i think it's a i think it's a proof of concept that 
we're onto a significant mineralized system which has economically recoverable gold there. And then I think the drilling program we're doing now will hope to you know, extend the, the known scope of it and look to see how it grows from there. So I think, yeah, I, I know, you know it's hard to say 100% this is the only strategy we're doing because we haven't yet got the results of the scope okay. study or the results. So I think it's, it's coming together. We know the focus, or yeah. the focus is, and it's coming together. So I think we'll be, over the course of the next two, three, four months, we'll be able to more clearly delineate what we're doing but those are the main focuses. Okay, so so that's great. I'm not trying to dodge your question. No, I don't think you did at all. You definitely <laughs> okay, didn't dodge it at all. But you know, again, because the bit I want to get to, you know, companies talk about catalyst moments and yep. you know, maiden resource, and we, you know, we're announcing a million ounce resource. The market doesn't care, right? And you go, well, what do you do in an instance like that? But you're saying is that we're going to do it because it's a proof of concept in a way. Yeah. We're going to take a lot of the learnings from hummingbirds. So I keep coming back to the original mothership, yep. as it were. Um, and we're going to follow a, a similar process potentially. A lot. Well, we're going to use a lot of the learnings from that, and we'll make decisions along the way as to the best course forward. Is that? Yeah, but I, I think I mean for people who aren't necessarily resource specialists, mm. you, know, you, you make a discovery. Yeah, at some point you decide to deliver a maiden resource once you think the discovery's got scale. Mm. You then bring out a scoping study, which is your first sort of economic document. Mm. You then generally do a pre-feasibility study, then a feasibility study, which would which would hopefully become bankable, and then you would finance and build a mine. So those are the stages you can't really avoid going through at some stage. But there's a timeline. But the question is, you can bring out a scoping study, step back, and you could do six months or you could do five years worth of further exploration. There you go. And I think, you know, some part of that's driven by the market. Does the market want to pay for and finance exploration to see how big it can get? Mm. Or does the market want to finance us building a mine that might be limited in Mm. scale by lack of drilling, not by you know, potential and, and drive forward into production quicker. I mm. think, um, you know, there are different parts of the world which have different mindsets. You know, Zimbabwe is known for having, you know, relatively small scale mines, which have gone on for like 50 years. Yeah. Um, equally, you know, ultimately, you know, the ultimate mine ever built was, you know, mines everything in one year because, you know, you, you mm. don't have no discount. You get all your cash back in one year. Mm. Uh, obviously, that's not, you know, not realistic for, for any mine. But ultimately, um, you know, there's a, a various point where CapEx against, you know, your profitability yeah. comes in, and I think you've just always got to you balance that. You've got to see the numbers. So let's let's talk about some, some of the the numbers here, and I'm and specifically share price because that's how yep. people. So new shareholders will judge you. That's yep. how finance. When you're you got your two million bucks, that's what they're looking at. You pounds. pounds, pounds. Sorry. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm just wondering what's going to happen over the next few months with Brexit. But uh, you're right. <laughs> pounds, pounds for now is good. Um, the share price on really done too much because you know you're at, you're at that stage right it's it, it, it is yeah. where it's at so that, you know well surprisingly had a bit of a bump even though you're not a producer when the gold price moved in, in August I think you, yeah we saw a bit of movement there why, why? well why I think it, it's you're got, not a producer I think it's got a, a very tight register so you've got 70% of the shares held by four four people right and I think what you had was um, some really good draw results coming out from site around that time. It usually I doesn't think move it the was... dial, though, does it? It doesn't. A lot of juniors, it, the gold price hasn't moved the dial. It shouldn't because they're an explorer, right? I mean, our share price last summer was 15, 14p. Yeah. And it went all the way down to 3p. Yeah. On no bad news, just good news, basically. But nothing happening in the market, right? Look, I think we started talking to some people. Um, I guess, you know, I think the directors followed their money well. Um, in the April fundraise, and they you know, followed their money again in this last fundraise. I think combination of directors, you know, 
buying some shares, obviously starting to do some more marketing and delivering some good draw results. I think, mm. you know, there was just a bit of momentum behind the stock and we did well. I mean, yeah. I don't spend a huge amount of my time staring at, you know, what might be perceived rivals, but, you know, other listed explorers. I mean, obviously I'm aware of guys and what they're doing and follow this sort of technically more than I do their share price. So yeah. I don't know what other guys did in that period, but yeah, I guess we had a, an okay run, but I don't think, you know, we're half the price we were at IPO. Admittedly, you know, a few more shares in issue. But um, you know, ultimately, we're, we're half the price we're at IPO, and we've got a project which has moved materially further forward. So for me, that's an opportunity. I mean, you're obviously, you know, potentially, I'm speaking to a whole lot of new yeah, shareholders exactly. who don't know the story. So for me, it's great opportunity for them in my mind because you know you weren't invested at IPO when we had an earlier stage company and project. You're now investing into a company which is de-risked significantly. Gold prices in a much better environment. We've you know been running at give or take fifteen hundred gold for the last few months now. Right. Um, you know IPO we're probably twelve hundred two years ago. So. Yeah, no, I get it, I get it. So, but, but let's you know look, look look at the runway and obviously the, the timeline is debatable because you, you make decisions which affect the, the timeline as to yep. how quickly or or not you spend your money drilling in in the ground, mm-hmm. right? So there's dilution going to come come down the road because you're going to need to raise more money. So yep. there's two million plus I think yes, some money in the bank yep. is going to last you through till when at, at your, on your current plans. I mean, on the current plans, we've got a budget which takes us through to the middle or so of next year. That's our current draw plan. But we still have plenty of money in the bank at that period of time. So I'm right. not saying we're, we're out of money. At the moment, we're planning to drill, you know, 15,000 odd meters of drilling yeah. between now and kind of Q1, early Q2 time. Right. Um, and it still leaves us with, you know, a fairly healthy bank account, you know, yeah. close to a million dollars in the bank. So we aren't, you know, and that will allow us time to, you know, look at the strategy and make the decision around mm. which way we're taking the project based on the results. Mm. So we aren't, going to be having an empty bank account and be in a, a period where we you know you're just reliant on trying to take you know trying to get any money you can i think i guess the other important point to make here is in a, pretty much every fundraise we've had the major shareholders have followed their money that was my next question. give or take so i think yeah. you know we've had great support you know the last round obviously the quirks farmers hummingbird you know followed their money which was great um so i think we've had good support and good buying into the market which i think plays to your point about why did you outperform in a certain trading period mm. And I think, you know, when you have that tighter register, a few marginal buyers can move your share price in either direction. So, you know, we felt it moving aggressively against us last year for no particular reason with with relatively small selling. And I guess this year we, you know, caught back half of the lost ground, I guess, in share price um, performance just with a few buyers. Okay, so it's a very interesting space, you know, Explorer, Gold, West Africa, you know, it doesn't take much when it's a tightly held register to shift the price positively yeah. or negatively. So it's important to understand if the major shareholders will continue to follow their money. Because again, yeah. if they don't, going and raising money in this market, a lot of juniors are struggling. You, you raised two million relatively easily, would you say? I mean, how long did that take you to? Um, yeah, week, 10 days. Right, okay. That, 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 that speak, speaks volumes, <clears throat> okay, and that's really, really important because again, we speak to companies who have been bouncing around for six, nine months looking for capital. Yeah, no, I mean, ultimately, look, well, we made four phone calls, four meetings, and you had, you know, well over half the book filled. So, right. I mean, right. that's a pretty strong place to be. Yep. Obviously, you can never guarantee that will happen on every placement. You don't know the, the person or company's you know, individual position financially and whether they're mm. able to follow their money. You know, at a previous fundraise, Hummingbird had indicated it wanted to follow its money, but it didn't feel mm. able to. It had some operational issues mm. and it wasn't able to even though it wanted to. And it got diluted from, you know, mid-20s down to 18. So for Hummingbird, you know, it was it was a shame for them and they wanted to follow their money, but they couldn't. So you can never guarantee they will always follow their, their money. Yeah. But we have been, thankfully, 
you know, very supported by our major shareholders, which is great. And I think, yeah, one of the biggest risks for junior miners isn't that they're not going to find anything. Yeah. It's that, yeah, they aren't going to find the investment because the investment's, you know, just just not in the sector. It's not in the market. So I think, yeah, that, I know why you're pushing me on it. And I guess yeah. that's, it is a big risk. I mean, yeah, looking back to Hummingbird in 2013, 2014, we were sat there with, you know, a four million ounce deposit. There aren't many of those in the world. But, you know, the market cap was shrinking. People never believed we were going to get it into production mm. because the capex to get it there was north of $200 million. And how do you raise yeah. $200 million when you've got a $30 million market cap? Yeah. So we ended up buying an asset in Mali, higher grade, lower cost to get it to production. Okay. Yeah, I think Core is in a, in a position where ultimately you know, we can make some pretty big steps forward with the asset yeah. with a relatively small amount of money. And I think we've seen that we've had good support from our shareholders to, to help us push forward. You have. And I guess it comes on to the kind of the third component here. When we, you know, we're talking about you know, what the skill sets you need in-house and where, where mm-hmm. you've come from, your experience is you've got to go and tell the story to the market. You've got yep. to tell us the institution. You've got obviously your current shareholders, which is the register looks is very strong. It's like four phone calls, great. But you've got to go and talk to the marketplace. Yep. And I guess part of the, your remit going forward will continue to be that. Yeah, you will keep talking to the marketplace. Look, I'm in Frankfurt next week doing meetings. Um, I'm in Zurich two, three weeks later. Precious metals. Uh, precious yeah. metals. Yeah. Um, obviously, I'll be doing in Darba. I did a turnip open investor evening last week, the week mm. before. Um, you know, my diary is. You know, I probably you know, currently in my role in the, the business development role. Obviously, mm. my focus is on on IR. I mean, from next year, I'll have to obviously spend a lot more time. Yeah. You know, running the business, whereas at the moment I, I'm solely focused really on positioning. Yeah. the company from a marketing perspective really. So I'm putting a lot of time into... So what is the what is focus? Do you have one business card going forward or two? One business card. One business card. So you're yeah, no, I'm moving full time to Coral Gold in the, okay. in the new year. So you're absolutely... I mean, obviously currently I'm wearing two hats, which yeah. is obviously why everyone knows about. And I think you know, they're interlinked. Um, you know, there isn't a conflict. You know, as, as you know, you have mining analysts in the city. There's a handful, 10, yeah. 10 a dozen mining analysts, which will cover companies yeah. of core and hummingbird size. So me going around and seeing those guys, it's actually great for them because they can yeah. do kind of two meetings in one go. Yeah. So I can update them on both. I mean, obviously going forward, I will be transitioning and ultimately I will just be talking about Cora. But okay. for this period, this window of a few months, um, yeah, I'm wearing two hats and I think there's, there is, yeah. So what's the focus and in terms of that investor base? You, 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 you've got a sort of institutional, large family office register at the moment. Retail, how important is that to the strategy going forward? Yeah, it's massive, I think. Right. I think as you know, a lot of the big institutions can't invest in a sub $100 million company, let alone a $10 million company. So I think there's no point in us spending all of our life trying to run around and meet JP Morgan and BlackRock all day. Because yeah. even if they think it's the world's best asset yeah. um, at 10 million quid, their fund won't let them invest in it, personally, yeah. potentially. You know, I'm not speaking specifically for those two funds, but generally the, the big institutions no won't invest in it. So, it. Yeah. so I think for us, you know, retail means different thing to different people. I mean, for me, retail is, you know, it's a real shareholder. It's a guy who's putting money from his own pocket into a company. Yeah. So, you know, it's, 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 it's important. And I think for us, you know, getting retail to understand the story and articulate it to them and then, you know, hoping to have some exposure, not, you know, not suggesting so much we're putting like half their portfolio into Cora, but I think people getting some exposure in different parts of the value chain yeah. is useful because, you know, you invest in Hummingbird because it's got production, it's got a strengthening balance sheet, you know, reducing debt, you know, growth in production, you invest in Cora because it's at the expiration stage. It, it could make a massive discovery on a permit that no one's even heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've got the development aspect as well. So you, know, you invest in different stage mining companies for, for different things. You know, you go and get BHP for, for the yield or whatever. I mean, so I think, you know, Cora is offering a specific thing to a specific type of investor. 
I think the pleasing thing for me in the last fundraiser was we started to see some smaller institutions put money in. So before it had just been the, the four large guys putting money in, then maybe some retail money, mm. maybe mm. a broker who's going in PA or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, but I think we saw a few institutions come in. You know, they're not declarable yet, so you know, but, but okay. just putting into the placement. So I think it was pleasing to see it institutionalizing and bringing in you know, 50 grand, maybe 100,000 pound um, investments from smaller funds who are able just to kind of dip their toe in the water and get some exposure. So hopefully we can obviously continue to follow up those conversations and look to build yep. those the yep. smaller cap funds who can invest in the smaller cap stocks. Yeah, okay. But great summary. I think that's a great first introduction to Cora for a lot of our viewers. Um, it is early stage, but you sound like you guys know exactly where you're going. Congratulations to you, obviously. Thank you. And yeah, let's stay in touch and work out, you know, um, we'll tell us a bit of some of those deliverables happening and, you know, mm. um, we'll share that with the Great, looking forward to it. Thanks a lot Brilliant. for having me. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.